Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Let the train! You are listening to Wide the Truck. Are you ready to trek and welcome to your Nooner with Tuner? What is it, Wednesday? always hard coming back after a long weekend it's gonna be a short one too because this week just what the truck today tomorrow take off for jackson hole i'll be there through sunday we're right back to normal starting next week it's a good time did you guys have a good time i was down uh, my parents got a new place down in bufflin bluff din south carolina so we hung out down there we went down to uh, hilton head we were riding around on a pirate cruise it's an excellent time hope you all had a uh, Good, safe weekend. I know who didn't have that great of a good, safe weekend, though. I got a headline to start us with. Nicola. Nicola, third battery fire this year over at one of their facilities. These incidents started happening, I believe it was back in June. I remember I was with Alan Adler at uh, the Future of Supply Chain, and this is when we talked about the first one. About a month ago, they reignited, and then just over the weekend, it says here, the lithium-ion cell battery of the Nikola semi-truck inside the Arizona Lithium AZLAF facility, ASLAF facility in Tempe, caught fire around 5 p.m. That's via ABC 15. The fire was contained, and the truck was subsequently removed from the building fortunately no injuries reported happened over that holiday weekend their reporter from abc 15 he said the fire was one thing but bringing the truck outside was also a long process now nicola had a recall thank you for bringing that to my attention by the way central scrutinizer i appreciate it nicola get it together on today's episode, I'm talking to AMZ Advisors Mike Begg. We're going to talk about how e-commerce and retail are viewing this impending peak season. Are they getting prepared? Can you win during peak season? He'll also have advice for some of you that are on the e-commerce side. Prologis Mobility's Henrik Holland is here. He's on a mission to reduce emissions in logistics. We'll find out why a real estate company is getting involved in trying to make fleets zero emissions. Give you a hint. It comes down to infrastructure. We got Freight Waves' Rachel Premack. We already know she went to Alaska, but we're going to go a little bit deeper on that. Plus, she's got something to say about dog culture. Got a little talk about Crocs. Find out what's ahead on modes. Plus, Justin Martin will be here. We're talking about an electric truck alternative. We're going to look at a kitchen robot. We're talking about a highway angel who saved some young girls from human traffickers. And the cops said, this kind of thing happens all the time. Scary story. Plus, we're going to talk about, um, he, Justin has a warning about uh, log editors. So this is something to be looking at. People are editing your logs, trying to pay you less money. Before we get to all that, though, let's tip the band. No ride, no app, no problem. With Uber Central on Uber for Business, you can help your drivers get where they need to go after dropping off their semi-truck. Schedule rides, control costs, and access 24-7 support in an easy-to-use dashboard. Just check out Uber for Business. Your drivers park for the night. There's one space for every 11 drivers. You need to send them to the grocery store. You need to send them someplace better to eat. Uber for Business has you covered. Love the service. But let's talk now. Rachel Premack, Editorial Director over at Freightways. Rachel, how you doing? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing really well because over the weekend, uh, I'm, very, I'm a very impulsive person. And we were down in Bluffton, South Carolina. My family and my wife goes, hey, I think the kids might need some new Crocs. There was a Croc outlet there. We went inside. <laughs> and next thing you know... I was walking out. I've joined the club with you. You said you got your own pair of Crocs, and now I have my very own pair of Crocs too, Rachel. <laughs> Check those things out. And you know what? Because I had the kids with me, they made me woke to a few things. Like, apparently you can't just buy Crocs. You have to get jewelry for them as well, and the jewelry is called gibbets. Now, I noticed something when I was in there. They did not have any trucks. They had zero transportation related. They had no FreightWaves logos or anything. So I got the next best thing, Dungeons & Dragons gibbets. I did not know they were called gibbets. Is that a is that like a trademark term by the company gibbets or 
That Who's is, allowed to use this word? Well, I don't know if you, maybe you can license the term and I won't get into our business opportunity, but and I have an opportunity for all you freight marketers out there. Now I go to all your swag boots. I've been to all these conferences. I have 6,000 Yetis. You know what I don't have? I don't have a single croc gibbets from any of you freight marketers out here. This is the next thing. I mean, honestly, it's not, I, I, we shouldn't even be talking about this on what the truck right now. Cause it's a really good idea. Um, you know what? Just just scrub the last two minutes or so when you upload this to YouTube and and to to Spotify podcast for sure. Well, I mean, I, we have a higher margin really idea, idea, but th- this is we have a high margin idea. This sure. is just an idea to get you you marketers off the ground because you know truck drivers yeah. flip flops. They always got made fun of for a long time for wearing for wearing flip flops, and now they get made fun of for wearing Crocs because you know it could be dangerous. But if you've worn Crocs, you know that it's like walking on air conditioned marshmallows. It is. And and that back strap, I mean, it's definitely much better than flip-flops because my understanding with flip-flops, it's too thin. It get caught behind, gets uh, caught behind the pedals. But with the Crocs, it's, it's very, you know, the, the, uh, the sole is very thick and then you've got the back strap. I don't think that same sort of risk of it getting caught behind the pedals would, would necessarily apply. Yeah, see, so, my six-year-old. And you can wear it with socks or without socks. My yeah. six-year-old, he doesn't run in sport mode. He keeps the strap up. And my eight-year-old, he's he likes to mm. run more often. He's a little bit more active, so he keeps the strap down. I I do as well. I think they're fantastic. But if you're not convinced out there, look at this total freight addressable market. All these people replied to show off their own Crocs right here. This was R and D. He said you need to get ones for the winter time that have fuzzy inside. Mm. He says he's wearing his on his deck right now. He's got like a hunting pattern on those things. Hmm. Wow. I didn't know they made the, the fuzzy variety. Brandon Bay had told the, Brandon Bay had told the wife to get me some that weren't plain. Next thing I know, see over here, I look like Ronald McDonald, but my kids won't let me wear <laughs> anything else. So he had to get some red ones. What did people wear before Crocs? Like what was the, I mean, obviously there are other shoes have existed, but like who, who who did Crocs replace? What type of shoe did Crocs replace? I'm going to go with the flip-flop. I don't like that thing in between my mm-hmm. toes, so I, I like the Crocs things. over. Those are Cracker Box Jimmy's. He says he wears his so often they got worn down. I mean, this, this is how important this is to freight culture, people. I did not know you could wear down your Crocs that much. Those must be, those must be years old, or maybe Crocs just put out a bum pair at like a bad, a bad production cycle. Rachel, you chose violence on X. You tweeted out, I'm scared of all dogs, yeah. uh, except insanely German shepherds. You want to end dog culture or this, this uh, Mother Jones reporter wants to end dog culture? What's going on here? Dogs in the cab are pretty popular. Okay, so I think dogs as a animal, good, fine. All, all in on dogs. I think what the Mother Jones reporter was talking about was dog culture, which is basically this idea that you go into a grocery store, there's someone has their dog, you go into someone's house and they have, you know, a pit bull and they're like, oh, he's just friendly as he like climbs on you and slobbers all over you and like seems very, very aggressive. I just feel like people or, or here's another example, people walking their dogs and they're leaving the dog fecal matter all over the streets. You know, these sort of behaviors done by humans would not be acceptable. We would not accept, you know, a human just going up and attacking a guest in a house or, you know, using the streets as their bathrooms. But if a dog does, it's like, oh, how cute. Well, do you support? I I just think that's crazy. Do you support DNA, DNA testing for like dog feces in New York? Um... I, I don't know if that what would be the point of that to, to chastise <laughs> to, like, the owners Rachel. down who left it. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it sounds like a poor use of taxpayer money, but also we're using so much taxpayer money to clean after people's animals. So I don't know. Maybe let's get some fines out there. You know, maybe maybe if tracking their DNA would be a good way to be able to levy more fees and fines. Well, so Rachel, I mean, the- the only Come good in. part I liked of that article was the end. The author wrote, this is my last day after many years of blogging at Mother Jones. Good. Good. Leave she, the dogs alone. She went, out, she went out on a high note or a low note compared, you know, depending on what you think. Even, you know, one of my friends messaged me that I was very brave for just tweeting out the article, let alone her writing the article. Um, but I think it, it shows 
just how deeply entrenched dog culture is that people aren't like, hey, maybe we shouldn't, you know, give dogs a pass for attacking children and people. And maybe we shouldn't give dogs a pass for leaving their fecal matter all over. I just, I, I don't think the problem is dogs. I think the problem is certain dog owners because yeah. they're not properly tra- uh, you know, training their, their animals. Well, some people I'll, can't I'll hand- shift the blame on people. Some let's go to people because some people can't handle dogs. Some people can't handle having children. What is your feeling on gender reveal parties? Because this happened over the weekend. Rachel, take a look at this. Yeah, that was very disturbing. Let's take a look here. So it's a girl, but the guy's wings went off of his plane. This was in Sonola, Mexico. The pilot died. It was a PA-235 aircraft. Okay, so I think there's a few things here. The idea, I don't, gender reveal parties did not exist pre-Instagram, correct? Like, I don't, no one was talking about this until maybe 10 or 15 years ago from my understanding. I feel like people are so obsessed with, like, showing off on social media that they will go to, you know, great lengths, but also, you know, you have a budget to keep in mind. So you hire a pilot to do the gender reveal party, but you're also not like paying the pilot to have the correct equipment and safety checks. So it results in death and tragedy like this, where you're trying to do the most, but you don't really, you're not really like paying for, you know, the safety and regulation side of things. So then you end up with like a pilot dying because you wanted to impress your friends on online that, you know, you did this big spectacle. I think it's, I think it's very bad. That's my, yeah. that's my, my, that's my final take. I think it's really goofy. The well, whole gender reveal part. They're only getting worse. There was a contaminated waterfall in Brazil yeah. in 2022. Early, earlier this year, 80 pounds of explosives were detonated at a gender reveal party in Kingston, New Hampshire, injuring someone. A pipe bomb explosion in Knoxville, Ohio in 2019. That killed one person instantly. And there was obviously that wildfire in Tucson, Arizona in 2018. Right. It cost $8 million in damages. But, Rachel, for clout, you went up to Alaska to go ride around in a truck. That story's doing really well on FreightWaves.com. What was that terminal like over at Sourdough Express when you got out there? Yeah, it was so okay. So when I got to Anchorage, um, I was kind of expecting the the terminal to be a little sleepy, but Anchorage is the largest city in Alaska. I mean, it's three hundred thousand people, so it's not you know a, a huge, huge city, but it's a pretty big city. It was a pretty bustling terminal, I'd say. Plenty of overnight cabs and day cabs, um, and the, the big thing that was getting moved around uh, was definitely a lot of building equipment because. Folks are, folks need their, their insulation in Alaska, that's for sure. Were you on the ice roads out there? It doesn't look like it's very icy. Is, is the trucking very seasonal out that way? Do they have like different types that go in different seasons of the year? Yeah, so um, even though it is the Arctic Circle, it is not cold enough to sustain ice roads um, in the summer. The ice roads are really, really around like November, December up till march or so um so i i i have gotten some emails of people saying that i should go back in january for the proper ice road experience um apparently it's actually really nice for drivers to drive um when it's super cold out when it's about like negative 20 negative 30 you get a really good traction between the tire and the ice but that is a long way of saying no i did not go on the actual ice roads because they were not, they did not exist by, at the time that I went. Um, but certainly winter is actually a lot more hectic um, up in Northern Alaska than the summer because you can't really drill in the summer because this, the ground is too soft to even support um, an oil rig then. So w- what was your run like? I, you had a map in your article and it looked like you were going basically uh, north to south, right? You're starting at the bottom over at Anchorage yeah. and going all the way to the top of uh, the Arctic Circle. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I flew into Anchorage. I rode with uh, one driver from Anchorage to Fairbanks. That was about you know a seven-hour drive. 
And then I went from Fairbanks to Prudhoe Bay. That was about 14 hours. So it was stretched over two days. Um, each night I, I spent the night in a hotel. Um, and let's see what else is, is important to note. Yeah, it was interesting because the um, Fairbanks to Prudhoe Bay run was about just under 500 miles. But because you have to go so slow on the roads that they're completely dirt roads, um, it just it, it took 14 hours or so. Speaking of hours, are the hours of service different in Alaska for drivers than they are down here in the, the lower 48? Yes, that was one of the first things I noticed as being kind of um, surprising when uh, the driver in Anchorage, Kyle Manier, set up his um, ELD. Is It was like a 20-hour block of time where he could drive, and I'd never seen that before. Uh, and the one reason why the hours of service in Alaska are so insanely long, I mean, A, the state is very big, but also um, you could, you know, you could have like some sort of interference with like animal on the road. If you have a mechanical issue, it could take hours and hours for someone to come out. Most of the drivers in Alaska are actually pretty good mechanics on their own, um, just because you kind of have to be to 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 work out there. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. We were driving in 2024 Peterbilts, but even those trucks had definitely seen, definitely were a little bit more beat up than you would picture i mean they have to get their windshields replaced all the time because it's rocky on those dirt roads anyways yeah their their eld their hours of service in alaska are much different than they are here what was the energy drink of choice for uh for your drivers in alaska is monster still raining i heard you know monster has a bigger market cap than delta united and american combined that's pretty wild um I'm very shocked by that. I uh, I did hear or I did feel like I saw like some talk on like markets econ Twitter about how Monster just has this amazing um, stock performance. Monster was definitely the the drink of choice. I, of course, am a Celsius fan, Ooh. but Monster was definitely the reigning reigning champ out there. You got to eat out there, too. We have a menu from one of the places that you stopped at now. I don't know. I was talking to Sal about Jones Act carriers. It's not as easy to get goods over <laughs> to to where you are. These prices, they look a little Hilton, Hid, Hilton Head-esque, but at the same time, everything's been so expensive lately when you go out to eat. The, these prices are still cheaper than what you'd find in New York, like, easily. Uh, so, to me, I didn't think they were so crazy, but um, considering that this Coldfoot is truly in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's a really long commute to get out there. Um, so I was impressed by the variety of food and the prices aren't, I didn't think the prices were, were too bad, but you know, they are mostly servicing truck drivers. So they can't really, they can't really go full Hilton head. I feel like on those prices for sure. Cause that's, that's the only place where you can eat. So it's nice. It's actually nice of them that they don't make the prices too crazy. What, what did you get? What's your review of this restaurant? I got a burger and their soup of the day. I was so hungry by this point that I would have frankly eaten anything. Um, you know, it was funny. The, the driver I was with, uh, Richard Mustaine, he did warn me that they don't change the cooking oils too much at this point because yeah. you're kind of in the middle of nowhere. So he warned me from getting, you know, chicken tenders or fries or anything like that. Um, I would say it was pretty good. It was, it was hearty. It filled me up. Um, can't complain. Can't complain. D well, with those prices, I hope they get paid well. And I heard that they may be getting paid even better. In your article, it said the drivers just got a pay raise. Tell us. Yeah, so Sourdough Express, the company that I drove with, they recently gave their drivers a 25% pay, pay raise. Um, and there was another company I spoke to, Alaska West Express, that said that drivers can earn, you know, typically 150000 to 170000 doing this job. But it is definitely a very challenging job. I mean, you're gone for... You're gone for three nights a week. Um, each day is obviously a 14-hour day uh, that you're driving. And it's it's you get there's a lot of unexpected stuff that happens out on the roads, especially in the winter. I mean, 
your job could get your your workday could get derailed because an avalanche shut down the road. I mean, or because a caribou, you know, punctured your fuel tank. It's just a it's a very chaotic but exciting place to drive for sure. I learned this from your article. It said, I learned that the Arctic Circle, which I previously thought meant it's really cold, refers to any location on Earth where the sun is up for 24 hours at least one day a year and down for 24 hours at least one day a year. Rachel, I didn't know that either. Go to FreightWaves.com and read her article. And while you're there, look out for uh, what else is coming out here. What's up? What's next in modes? I am finally writing a non-yellow, non-Alaska story. So I'm going to be writing about truck parking, actually, uh, and all the new companies that are in the space and what's kind of why, why they've all appeared in the, in the last few years or so. Thank you very much, Rachel. Go check it out. Go look up Rachel Premack. Go find her on Twitter, X-R-R-P-R-E. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Take it easy. Ooh, and when you're over next, you're going to see this tweet from her. It says, Deutsche Bank estimates that student loan debt payments resuming in October could equate to $14 billion per month in reduced consumer spending, $1.78 trillion in student loan debt across 45 million borrowers equals $305 per month per borrower of reduced spending. Mm, that can't be great for the holiday season. Meanwhile, now, if only our dear ones would make a lot of trouble a lot easier. Look, he's using the crosswalk. But they're not letting him go either. This is in Japan, apparently. And obviously, no jaywalk. There we go. Have you seen those overpasses that they're not roads, they're like um, forest overpasses that they're building some places and instead of like paving it they're putting a bunch of trees and grass and everything and it allows the animals to go over the overpass instead of running across the highway they've had some good success with those maybe even in Holland but I don't know about with Henrik Holland Henrik Holland, global head of Prologis Mobility is here with us today Henrik, how are you sir? I'm doing very well, thank you very much Tim how are you? How are you? Where are you coming in from Henrik? I'm actually dialing in from Amsterdam by coincidence. So I, I live, I'm based in Los Angeles. <clears throat> I heard you say something about overpasses for wildlife in, uh, in the Netherlands, and I can tell you it's a real thing. We got them right here. I heard those have worked out really well. I hope they bring that model over here. Not only does it sort of look nice, but it obviously prevents a big issue. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's been a huge uh, success here. Small country, you know, so you need to connect these wildlife areas um, together to make one big wildlife area. So real pleasure to be here today. Well, you are over. So when you go over to California, you know, the Dreyage community is is buzzing over there. They know about CARB. They know that they have to electrify their fleets, the all the fleets out there. And they want answers. They want to know how they can do it, how they can phase it out. What do you think would move the needle to get fleets to start electrifying, especially those that are under some of these mandates where, I mean, the yeah. clock's ticking. It's what it's <clears throat> the fourth quarter already of 2023. D definitely. Yeah, it's um, it's an exciting time. It's a challenging time, depending a little bit, um, you know, how, how you look at things. Um, the clock is ticking. There's generally kind of three things that I think fleet operators are are concerned with. It's. Uh, as it comes to EV and EV infrastructure, it's it's cost of of a vehicle, of, of fueling, it's uh, range anxiety of the vehicle, and it's charger anxiety. So, in terms of like what really needs to happen for this to become a um, really positive transition, is all of those three things kind of need to need to see some progress. So, uh, on the vehicle cost side and on the range anxiety side. Uh, vehicle manufacturers are are working hard to drive down the the first cost of of EVs, and a lot of that comes from new battery technology. That's going to get better over time, right? So we've seen a tremendous amount of cost improvement over the last few years, and that's expected to continue. So I think that's going to be a huge and really really important component because in in like the heavier duty segments, you know, cost is still somewhat of a challenge to really make this um, transition commercially attractive. Now on the infrastructure side, so the 
The charger anxiety side, that's kind of where, um, where Prologis comes in. That's what we focus on. So what we really need to see is just a lot more charging, right? So we need to see a lot more charge points available when uh, fleet operators, when drivers need it, where they need it, and at um, commercially attractive cost points. So those three things um, are being worked um, by both vehicle OEMs, infrastructure providers, and I think we're going to see a lot of progress in that space over the next few years. But right now, those are kind of the key challenges that we're facing. These ones sound hard, cost and complexity. So let me ask you, from Prologis' perspective, how are you addressing that? Yeah, so we, we really believe that um, it's important to make things really, really, really simple, right? So if you think about transitioning to, to EV, it's a completely different technology, different drivetrain. And drivers, by the way, uh, generally, um, and what I hear uh, in terms of feedback, really love this technology, right? So these trucks that have uh, less noise, lower vibration, you know, no emissions, so almost without fail, um, every driver I speak to loves it once they've, they've made that transition happen. But for fleet operators, there's a tremendous amount of complexity. So I have a new type of vehicle, I have a new type of fuel. Um, so I, I really believe we need to make it simple, right? So I, I occasionally go to uh, a conference on, um, on EV, uh, on electrification, and when this infrastructure problem comes up, the general advice I hear is, hey, go talk to your utility, go talk to a charger manufacturer. And to me, that sounds a little bit like, you know, let's say we'd be sitting here 100, 120 years ago and the first diesel trucks would be coming to market. Like, I wouldn't give you the advice if you're buying one of these new trucks to say, oh, go talk to a oil and gas company, go explore for some oil and go refine it. And so what we like to say is, hey, just keep it simple, offer fleet operators the usage of the charging service. So what we provide as Prologis is an opportunity for fleet operators to charge their cars. So to make it, to char charge their trucks. So to make it really concrete, when you're at a Prologis facility or where we provide a service outside of a Prologis facility, you just pay us to charge your vehicle, we provide the charger, we provide the energy. So you just pay for fuel. In this case, it's electric fuel versus diesel fuel. You just pay for the fuel when you need it. So what we do is we make it extremely simple for these fleet operators to make that transition happen. So if I'm not mistaken, Prologis is a logistics real estate company, right? You, you guys haven't changed overnight on yeah. here. Or maybe you have. How do you fit into this road to zero emissions? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. So we haven't changed overnight. We are still the global leading um, industrial real estate company, meeting you know, warehouses, um, trailer drop lots. If you think about what is really, really important as it comes to EV charging, it's really about location and where these trucks are going to charge. And in a vast majority of cases, they're going to charge, you know, where it's convenient. So at a warehouse, because this is where these trucks are, right? So location is really important for EV charging. It's really important for real estate. So we bring those two things together. So you either can charge at a warehouse within the Prologis family, we can do it. We can provide these services outside of um, Prologis footprint as well at, at third-party warehouses, but we're also in the process of developing dedicated charging hubs. And this is really what Prologis does best, right? We have, um, we have sites in the place where these trucks will charge, and we're really, really good at developing new real estate um, locations that have the energy to charge these trucks. So it's really a marriage of our real estate development and operations capability with our, um, you know, our capability uh, in EV charging that is, that is going to make this transition happen. Interesting. So outside of charging, what else is Prologis Mobility, that side of the, the house, getting into? Yeah, I, I mentioned already the, the charging hubs that we're developing. So most... Um, EV projects today are really warehouse um, focused when it comes to the heavier duty, um, heavier duty applications, the class eight tractors, 
Um, what we are starting to do now is to develop dedicated charging hubs. So think about them as charging plazas that are not tied to a specific warehouse, but that are located, let's say, close to the port of L.A. You mentioned Southern California, right? Close to the port of L.A. and Long Beach to provide additional opportunity and flexibility for our customers to charge their vehicles. So that's an important thing that we're doing on the infrastructure side. And beyond that, what we're really doing is um, playing a role to bring parties together. So to make a charging project work, you need a vehicle, you need infrastructure, you need energy. And we have relationships with those parties, the vehicle OEMs, the utilities, um, other technology providers in the space. We're kind of the spider in the web of bringing all of those parties together to make these uh, projects a reality. Um, so we do that by developing this infrastructure. We do it by gathering um, thought leaders. We have a thought leadership event called Groundbreakers, uh, September 27. It's just around the corner. So we're super excited about making this transition a reality. And we really realize that it takes a community uh, to make this happen. So it's been really exciting over the last um, you know, two years or so that we've been doing this um, to see that um, kind of community engagement and stakeholder engagement ramp up. Henrik, thank you so much. People who want to learn more, they want to uh, start electrifying their fleets or they're doing research like a lot of us are now and figuring out what that road means for us. Where do I send them to? Um, you can um, find us on the Prologis website. There's a really nice Prologis mobility um, a site that you can find more information, um, more information about how to make this transition a reality. If you have any questions about us, we have a team of specialists here in EV charging, and we're ready here to address any questions that you have. Well, Henrik Holland, enjoy Amsterdam and have a great time. Thank you for your time today. Take care, sir. All right, no ride, no app, no problem. With Uber Central on Uber for Business, you can help your drivers get where they need to go after dropping off their semi-truck. Schedule rides, control costs, and access 24-7 support in that easy-to-use dashboard. That's right, you can send your drivers off to any restaurant you like, over to the grocery store. Maybe they got to pick up a new pair of Crocs at the Croc Outfit. You can do that right for your driver's attention. Big issue. Help them out. All right, elsewhere... You guys over in Vegas? Did you guys go to Burning Man for Labor Day weekend? Chris Rock did. He had to get taken out by Diplo. He's driven out. I don't know if he was making amends with Will Smith out there or what. How do you think that sphere holds up with all this water? I would love to get out there and see that. The only problem is, like, it's such a hassle going to Vegas, you know? All right, let's talk to Mike Begg. He's the CEO over at Amazon Advisors. Have you had a chance to check out that sphere over in Vegas yet? Vegas ever, actually. Uh, but maybe I'll make it one day. No, <laughs> maybe you will. Just not right now. It looks uh, it looks awfully flooded over there. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Mike, where are you coming in from today? I'm coming to you from Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. Oh, what's going on down there? I live here. Oh. <laughs> I'm originally from Connecticut. I've lived down here for about six years. My wife's from here, and I run my companies from uh, down here. So, what, what, Let's start there. What brought you down there? What, what, what comes into e-com advising that makes Mexico a great spot? Well, uh, when I was starting the company eight years ago, uh, Mexico was cheap, and you know, saving as much money as possible and, and coming down for a cost of living change was the big reason that drove me down here initially. Uh, and then and once I was here, I met my wife. Uh, well, my girlfriend at the time. And as I kept growing the business, you know, she kind of pushed me to start hiring in Mexico. And from there, I started building out my teams. And uh, at this point, I have about 50 employees in Mexico. Wow. Well, and, and being an advisor in the e-commerce space, it's it's a lot like advising in trucking over these past couple of years because the market's been insane. I mean, we had that massive run-up, the greatest run-up in e-commerce history during the pandemic. Um, then you all heard a big narrative last year where sales are still going good, but all these retailers, they bought so much stuff because shipping rates were so high that all the warehouses were full. And now, like, the economy's kind of going back to earth. We don't have trillions of dollars poured in. What's going on in e-commerce right now, especially as we approach peak season? So there's a lot of interesting things going on. The first one is uh, a lot of the aggregators that had raised a ton of money. They went out there and bought a bunch of different Amazon brands, uh, Amazon native brands, and, and thought they could roll them up into a big company. 
Uh, turns out because of interest rates rising and a lot of other reasons and poor management, most of these aggregators are actually failing. So there's been one that declared bankruptcy a few weeks ago. There's another one that looks like it's about to go bankrupt. Uh, and that's an interesting opportunity for a lot of other sellers because a lot of the brands that they were managing were in highly successful or highly competitive categories. And right there, you're just wiping out a competitor pretty much. So uh, there will be asset sales. They'll sell off some of those brands, try to recoup some money. But uh, that's obviously going to have a big impact on uh, the e-commerce market in general. Apart from that, you know, we're headed into Q4. Uh, Prime Day was the biggest Prime Day ever, as it is every single year. Uh, <laughs> so in general, on Amazon, e-commerce sales seem to be strong. It's really when you start looking at what's happening in other platforms uh, where maybe things are dropping off. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see as we get closer to Q4 and as you know, conditions in the economy continue to change, whether sales will actually be impacted or not. One of these companies that you kind of alluded to, I think it was called, was it Benny Tago? They were almost a pandemic darling. And if I understand correctly, they're coming up, they're rolling up successful e-commerce sellers on Amazon. And they were, were they almost like a private equity group for e-commerce sellers or, or how did that work? Yeah, that's essentially it. I mean, they had, they raised a bunch of money. I think they raised like $325 million. And as of their last filing, they have like $7 million left in cash. So, you know, that was a sinkhole. Uh, but in general, that was the idea. It was essentially a private equity play by these existing brands that are doing well, roll them up, create a bigger company, obviously increase the value, increase the cash flow, the EBITDA, and then try to try to flip it on the public market. The first company that tried to do this was Thrast.io. Uh, they got to the point where they were about to go public, and then I don't think they actually launched. I think they were trying to go public via SPAC, and I think that actually backfired on them. Uh, and then since then, they you know have started having layoffs. A lot of the other companies that copied their model, uh, instead of going more for equity, they raised a lot of debt because interest rates were incredibly cheap at the time. And now that's coming back to bite a lot of them in the ass. Wow. So what kind of impact has the end of the pandemic had on individual sellers? Are they feeling it just as, as bad as these sort of roll-up groups are? No, uh, not not really. I mean, when we look at what's happening on Amazon in general, about 60% of the total sales of products on Amazon are done by these smaller sellers. Uh, I would say the biggest challenge that, that most of these smaller sellers have had have been around inventory and supply chains on that aspect. Um, China over during the pandemic and even still to this day has been a nightmare for a lot of people to manufacture. And so we talked with, we've spoken with a lot of clients, a lot of companies that have looked at ma moving manufacturing to other countries like India, other places in Southeast Asia, uh, here in Mexico, where I am, uh, as well as some other countries in uh, Latin America. And from that standpoint, there's a little bit of a cost increase. But in general, smaller sellers are doing better than these big companies that try to raise a lot of money. And, uh, you know, when you look at the perspective from a smaller seller, they're, they're operators. They understand how to run the business, how to grow it in e-commerce. The aggregators were a bunch of finance guys that thought they could buy a bunch of these brands and then figure it out. And it turns out they couldn't. No, no, it's it's hard business. I I know some sellers, and there's constantly changing regulations, even with Amazon, that sellers have to be in stop of. In fact, you touched on something that I know one of them is doing. He goes down to South America, Mexico all the time. He's looking to bring stuffed animals and toys over to Latin America. He said the one issue, though, is just finding comparable factories. There's just so many more yeah. over in China. Are you seeing any impact that that nearshoring is having? Is are any production moving away? So uh, that's a very good point is that the manufacturing in, in Latin America in general is definitely not as advanced to, as China. The expectations are much different too. I mean, obviously Latin culture is different than Chinese culture and the work weeks are extremely different. But one of the interesting trends that we've seen over the past year and a half here in Mexico has been a huge flood of Chinese coming over and starting to invest in these factories. So for example, uh, I work in an office building and you know, six years ago when I first moved here, there were no Chinese. And now there's entire floors that are full of Chinese companies. So there's really a lot of movement to get them here into Mexico because there's so much more preference for U.S. brands or U.S. companies to start working with Mexico over, over China or you know, with other countries over China. Interesting. Interesting. Do you, do you think student loan repayments are going to take a bite out of e-commerce sales? Uh, probably. Yeah, it'll probably have some impact. I mean, I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier about how, uh, you know, 14 billion or whatever it is is going to come off of uh, monthly consumption. That's obviously going to have an impact. It's going to affect a lot of people. 
uh, specifically for the Amazon platform, it probably won't have as much as uh, as much of an impact because people go to Amazon for the lowest prices, apart from Walmart. But they go for low prices and fast shipping options, which is usually better than they'll find on other platforms. So I think as consumers continue to look for deals, they'll find them on Amazon because if they can't find the brand they want, they will find a comparable product at a lower price point that will hopefully keep the consumption going. What's the room temperature? These the, the retailers that you've talked to and, and that you advise, how do they feel peak season is going to go? They looking, they think it's going to be a good Christmas? In general, everyone seems pretty optimistic. Uh, they also, but like, you know, you have to take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, there's a lot of changes going on. Like we're talking about how it, student loans restarting is going to impact. There's a lot of other impacts coming, possibly increased interest rates. All of these might impact the actual consumption that's going to happen. In general, everyone seems pretty optimistic about how sales are going to go. Uh, they think that because people are cutting back on consumption, they're going to be looking uh, you know, during the year, they're going to be looking for deals. Uh, and there's a lot of promotions that come out around uh, you know, Prime Day in the fall now, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and some of the other holiday promotions. So they're hoping that a lot of uh, those deals will continue to drive uh, sales and consumption and help them turn more inventory. How about in real estate? My my local Spirit Halloween is opening up inside a Bed Bath and Beyond. Oh, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> um, no, this is actually something I was doing uh, years ago before I started this company. I was working at Sears, and we were looking at ways to essentially take stores and then repurpose them for other uses. One big factor was Sears had a bunch of big stores that they didn't need anymore, and the reality was no store needs a massive footprint that like Sears had, like. Even Kohl's has some of these other big retailers. Uh, so getting creative on figuring out ways how to subdivide them, how to uh, put uh, like stands inside stores that you can rent to other brands, that's becoming more popular. I've seen a lot of department stores actually rent space to uh, luxury brands within stores. Um, so it's a way for them to actually take advantage of the, the square footage that they have. So there's a lot of interesting things happening in retail real estate. Um and I think we're going to continue to see more of those changes, more redevelopment, more uh, different use cases for the existing retail real estate that's out there. And there's going to be a lot more changes coming because of other factors like increased crime and increased theft. Uh, I think the latest numbers I saw was it's expected that 50,000 retail stores are going to close by 2027. Wow. Uh, so that's going to be a pretty big shift. Is Kohl's is going to make it? I, ne- I can never figure out their Kohl's cash. That place is not designed for me. I could not tell you. Uh, I think the Kohl's cash is like its own world right now at this point. But um, no, I, I the big box retailers in general, I think are going to struggle. Uh, they really need to. I mean, I've already seen it with Sears. I've seen it firsthand. So I can't imagine that many of these other companies have figured it out better. But uh, as long as companies continue to shift to e-commerce and continue to shift online, they'll be able to make it through. Mike, if people need Amazon or e-commerce advice, where do I send them to? The best place to go is my website, amzadvisors.com. You can also reach me directly at my email, mike at amzadvisors.com. Or feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Michael Begg there. So uh, anyone interested in growing their e-commerce sales and taking advantage of the trend going towards e-commerce, please feel free to reach out. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Have a great week. You as well. Take care. All right. You think this could be the future of travel? I, I, I don't know. Some people were saying uh, positioning here could be bad because of people's gas. Although, when you see him lean back, I like what you can do with your legs. I got long legs. And watch this. Basically, then you can put your legs up and recline, stretching your legs fully forward. Stick them all the way under. You can lean back a little bit. When he leans back, it's not like it's kind of in your face, but not as bad as when someone regularly reclines. Welcome to the future of economy class. It's like a double-decker for you audio listeners. It's a double-decker, so one side is up a raised a little bit, and you're kind of like uh, like zippered underneath them a little bit. I don't know if I'm describing it well. Anyways, we got Super Trucker Justin Martin. What's up, man? How's it going? I, every time I see that video, I just laugh of like just imagining the person in front of you just like just blasting all through the flight. <laughs> are, are you like are you a flight farter? Do you do you often fart on the on the aircraft? I do my best to hold it in. You know, it's a pressurized cabin, so that I think that helps a little bit. I don't know. I what is the leg room a good enough trade off? What if you're top deck? I'd have to see those prices first. I'm I'm six foot. I'm a big guy. You know, I, I like having my leg room. Yeah, I heard you like trucks. Let's take a look at this truck here, dog. 
guys, you won't Look believe what I found. Do you think this I is uh, Dad of Two Roadside? Guess what's on top of that <laughs> He's actually not far from me uh, today. He's, he's dropping off a car. Truck. It's a truck. He's freaking out. Look, it's a truck pulling a truck on top of a truck. Pulling a truck. With another truck on top of a truck. All Max, too. I wonder if they're on their way to Jimmy. They're on their way to Jimmy. I, I like those. So, hey, Justin, are you are you like the cook of the house or is that your wife? No, I, I do the cooking. You do the cook. What, what's like your uh, what's your go to? Oh, geez. Um, I, I, I cook with a lot of cast iron. So pretty much, you know, meat, potatoes, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I do, I do a good hamburger helper every once in a while. I have a toddler. So, you know, lots, lots of chicken, lots of chicken tenders and macaroni and cheese. Well, what if I told you there was a kitchen robot out there that has raised seven hundred and seventy four this says thousand, but this must be this must be close to a billion. They couldn't have only raised. I think they've raised close to a billion dollars. Three quarters, uh, three quarters of the way there. Let's take a look at this, and we'll discuss. I'm about to use this kitchen robot for the first time ever, and it will be making us bacon cheeseburger pasta. Container A, noodles. Slider in there. Ground beef, onion, garlic. Container B. Container number B. Container C, bacon, and container D, cheese. Container C, full of bacon. We chose mozzarella instead of cheddar, and here's all the containers. Next is our spices. They are all loaded up. We have our water and our oil back here, and we just push it in. Okay, it just turned on. What the Ah! Wow. There's the water. <laughs> now this could do this while you're driving the truck, Justin. Possibly. Hopefully the roads are smooth so you're not splashing everything everywhere. You don't get a kettle of hamburger helpers splashing everywhere? No, man, that's a mess. And this is the final look of the meal. Ugh. All right, let's see. <laughs> that's good. Wow. And Goblin Boy <laughs> likes good. it too. Did you see Goblin Boy? He had a big smile. <laughs> I, I gotta say, they have like frozen bags you can get at just about any grocery store. You just dump it all into a skillet, and there you go. Well, there's a lot of preservatives in those. Now that is called. The Nimble, it says, Living ETC says this soon-to-launch countertop appliance is probably the nearest we've got to a robot private chef so far. But will every kitchen have one in the future? Is it the new air fryer? You can pre-order it for $995. Its regular price is $1,500. But I was watching it, and it looks like the things that the only things that the thing automates is an automated stir, it's an automated mm -hmm. hot plate, and it's like an automated cup dumper. Because you have to do yeah. all of the, like, you have to do all the sous chef work. You have to go and get the ingredients yourself. This isn't like a Star Trek replicator. Um, you have to follow the, the pre-made instructions that are on there. And then you got to clean the entire thing when you're done as well. Yeah, the, the beauty of the cast iron skillet, it's, it's just one piece. You just, you only have to cook one thing or clean one thing. This reminds, you remember the, the Juicero from a couple yeah. of years back? They're like $3,000 juicing machine. They went out of business because one guy on YouTube just took one of the bags and just squished it. And he said, okay, what are we paying thousands of dollars for? Well, that does more prep. I mean, at least it squeezes it. On this thing, you still have to fix everything. And this is what their um, co-founder, Raghav Gupta, said. He said, people want to eat fresh food every day. And owning to working lifestyles or unable to find time to cook meals from scratch every day, they're spending $6 just for delivery alone at DoorDash. We want to be a company that people think about when they want to eat fresh food at home. But you still got to get the food, uh, Gupta. Still got to get the food. You still got to clean it up. It's a non. It looks like a nonstick skillet. And those there's like some debate whether or not those are healthy to uh, cook on or not. I don't use one anymore. I used, I used to get, especially uh, high temperature cooking, you, you will get sick from uh, Teflon. You know, it makes sense that the the founder is in this. Actually, I'm looking at Crunchbase. They're an Indian-based company because you go on your, their YouTube. Like most of the recipes are just different curries. That okay? That makes a lot more sense. Um, yeah, a curry dish with like a ton of spices like that. You're going to have a lot more uh, prep work going to that than like you know a, an American hamburger helper meal. Yeah, you know, once they can have one that can like make steaks and flip steaks and shop for the steak and then clean itself, call call me up. I'll be interested. <laughs> You can I'll even... stick to my suit. Now, when you were a trucker, did you ever have your wife throw the boy in the back of the car and, and do this? Love it. Love it. No, I wish. My, my son was born um, when I was already working local. Um, and then by the time I got hired with you guys, uh, more than a year and a half ago now, I, I, you know, I drive a desk now. One of my biggest regrets is like him not seeing me, you know, 
drive a big truck like that. We we went to like one of those touch truck events last weekend, and he was. I don't know. He liked the trucks, but anytime any other kid was like in another truck honking the corns, he was like, no, nope, I got to get out of here. Not a fan. Oh, he didn't like the, yeah, the loud sound was a little yeah, too much Yeah, it's pretty loud. Cool credit in CDL says, that's love. Real Eyes says, love this. But someone will probably crap and say, that's dangerous, blah, blah, blah. Well, we'll just block them. We're not going to listen to that yeah, person. Yeah. No, that was awesome. For you audio listeners, there's a, there's a dad driving his truck. The wife put um, his daughters in the backseat of the car. She saw him drive by. Michael says, awesome. I get to... I got to honk the horn for my daughter when we meet on the highway. So uh, Michael's daughter waits out on the side of the highway. He beeps for her when she comes by. Oh, that's good. Yeah, no, when you're away from family, you got you to enjoy every moment you can. That, that's a, they're going to remember that for a long time. Easy Money says, my dad was doing turns from L.A. to Houston, and we live near Fresno. He hadn't been home in a few weeks and had to do one more. So mom and I hopped in the car, drove four hours to L.A., had dinner with him and visited a bit, and then drove home. Met him right at the truck stop. Always an option. Yeah, try and get dinner with the family if you can. And then Robert Sterling said, the looks of sheer joy in their faces are incredible to see. I wish more people realized that your kids couldn't care less what your job is or how much money you make. They just want to see that you love them, be involved in their lives, and give them reasons to smile. Amen. A little cabo for that answer, too. It's a great one. Good wholesome content. All right, let's go to some dark content, though. This This is just an awful story. A trucker was named a TCA Highway Angel for discovering human traffickers with caged children. Ajot put this out. There's a driver by the name of Michael. He won't even, they can't put his full name out there, apparently, because there's dangers of the coyotes uh, retaliating against this driver for calling them out. But Justin, what happened was uh, June 18, 2023, around 1 a.m., Mike is in a border state. He pulls into a rest stop when he sees a pickup truck come in with a cage in the back, and he notices that there's some young girls in that cage because the girls had been let out to go to the bathroom. When they came back, they threw him in. He follows the truck, calls the police, and they pulled these people over. It was a man and a woman. And the cops said, here's this, this scary thing. The cops said, Justin, this happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I had the honor of talking with uh, Kayla Lanier from uh, Truckers Against Trafficking last year. And talking with her, it, it's it's very eye-opening because, you know, you, you remember what you did, like, on the road and stuff. And I would tell her, like, things I would see. And I was like, Are you, was I witnessing potential human trafficking and almost every single time she's like you have no idea like this stuff literally is everywhere if you see something call the hotlines call 911 do everything you can to shut this stuff down did you see anything that that looked like this um young girls i mean these weren't uh these weren't like could be 18 year old working the parking lot type of thing these were young girls yeah no nothing like kids in cages or anything like that but um she was she was saying like anything anything as innocuous as like an RV parked in a weird spot. A lot of times like those could just be somebody that put an advertisement online and they're solicit- soliciting people uh, from the back of the RV. You know, it's small things like that. So this is a, a huge issue, and we know it is in trucking. It doesn't get talked enough about freight. Why was there so much push by the mainstream media to act like like Sound of Freedom was a conspiracy theory when we we know this happens? We have a truck driver right here who's a highway angel for stopping this from happening. I don't know. It's it's just easy, um, easy audience baiting, I guess you could say. It's everything has to become like a political issue right now. You, nobody can ever set aside political differences and say, okay, everyone agrees this is a horrific thing. And um, either either like the mentality of like dealing with the horror of the fact that it is everywhere is just too much for people to deal with, or you know, it could just be, hey, our viewership numbers are down, so let's just attack this one audience because they're an easy easy target. Justin Hoffman says it's mind blowing the it's mind blowing that only trucking websites are covering such an incredible story and this isn't mm-hmm. being covered or reported by national media. I have to agree. This is a this is a huge issue and I don't think a lot of people know about it and I think a lot of people depending on what political side they are and believe what like whatever side they hear and if you are a side saying this is this doesn't happen this is just a conspiracy theory that's what you're going to think but I, I assure you it does. Yeah. It's one of those things. It's 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 like a rock, and you flip it over, and you, the bugs just scatter. It happens every as as, as anti-conspiratorial as anyone wants to be. Like it it is pervasive, and it's everywhere, and it's horrible to think that it's happening all the time. <sighs> like we said, if you see something, say something. Always always turn these guys in. Be like that angel. Make sure you help these kids out there. You are our eyes and ears on the road. Make sure Absolutely. something happens. Now, Justin, we started the show talking about. 
uh, Nikola truck that set on fire. They, they keep setting on fire. Here's an EV that didn't set up set on fire. What's going on with Chase? Let's see here. Okay, guys, we got some great news. We got those axles spinning now, which means we built a working electric truck. It works. Hooray. Midnight, yeah, these, these guys have been burning the midnight oil for weeks now trying to get this up and running. He's even injured himself building this thing. Yeah, broke his arm. He's moving. Uh, Michael, you Quiet, too. When, when's, he, uh, when's he starting to sell these things? So right now, this is all in preparation of this big truck show that they've been um, trying to get the truck ready for. They want to be able to show it off at the truck as a work truck, not just you know a showpiece. Um, what's interesting, too, about this truck is it's not going to be a highway truck. Obviously, you can yeah. drive on the roads with it, but it's, it's for logging purposes. So when there's another video of him pulling the, the truck out of the barn, and you can see like the, the chains uh being dragged on it and stuff so totally different purpose than what people typically think of for like an electric semi i'm very excited to see where they go with this um one thing i did notice that kind of irked me the driver's seat just like all these other electric vehicles um the driver's seat is in the center of the cab i don't understand why well yeah why is why why does it have to be that way i don't know well at least with this one it's a, it's a full day cab like the windows are huge so you, you have full 360 degree view of, of everything that's going on. You're not relying on cameras and sensors and, and video screens, at least with this truck. But I, I suppose, you know, with a logging truck, um, he wants to try having it in the center of the cab. Interesting. Hey, I read, um, I read Rachel's article, uh, talking about in Alaska and it looked like those Alaska truckers look down upon you guys. They call you guys like the lower, <laughs> the 48. They think Alaska is its own country. What, what's the difference between trucking in Alaska versus the lower 48? Uh, well, like reading her article, um, it was interesting. Like because you're on like a dirt road and the, the loads are a lot heavier out there. Totally different type of attitude when it comes to driving. You know, out here it's all about miles. You're paid by the mile, yeah. uh, not the hours. So you're, you're you're running as hard as you can for as long as you can. Whereas up there, you know, if, if you try going over 50 miles an hour on those roads, you're tearing your truck up, and then you're going to be really stuck. Um, so yeah, the, the the attitude towards safety is is a lot more uh, stringent than it is down here. Also, self reliance. Um, you know, if you break down, you're on your own. You, you got to fix it yourself, or pray that there's another truck coming by that can that can help you out uh, fairly quickly. Um, but yeah, we're always called the lower 48, just because you know there's 48 states down here, and then you got sure. Alaska and Hawaii. So I don't, I don't think they really mean that as like a negative term. No, I, they do. I got that's the impression I got from, oh, from really? Rachel. They definitely look down <laughs> upon us a little bit. That's okay. The mosquitoes are just as terrible up there as they are down here, so they can call us wow. whatever they want. You got to be tough. It said in there that <laughs> one of the drivers said uh, he loses like a windshield a week due to the rocks on those yeah. roads. So parts are uh, having parts for a truck that can run on those roads has to be equally important. Yeah, and it, it, I bought. Well, I didn't buy, it, but my company bought us a brand new Freightliner uh, back in 2012, and the windshield on that thing was so new that when we got a crack on ours, it was like months of waiting before they could get a new one. So the place we went to, they put an old windshield on it and just you know used a bunch of extra sealant um so i imagine any any fleet up there that's like upgrading their trucks that's stuff they're looking at it is like where can i get parts justin you have a psa about one other thing we'll leave you with here and it's got to be mindful about your logs you don't want any log editing what is going on here so th there's kind of this um I don't know a stereotype of of Chicago based carriers where they're 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 running cowboy basically they'll hire anyone they don't care what kind of record you got and drivers like driving for these guys because you, you make all kinds of crazy money but I guarantee you if you if you kept track of all the hours you worked and how much money they paid you at the end of the day you're probably making twelve bucks an hour um, but the only reason they're making so much money at the end of the week is because they're driving forever. And I tell guys all the time, if they can edit your logs, they can edit your paycheck. Ugh. Yeah, be mindful of your logs. Keep an eye on how much you're, you're driving. Make sure no one's backdooring you on that. Speaking of times in your logs, we only have 62 days left on our log to getting to mm. F3. F3live.freightwaves.com. Get your tickets over there. You can use the code F3. WTT. There's going to be a ton of great speakers. There's going to be a ton of great musicians. There's going to be the Please Advise Club, which is an online group of uh, freight people on Twitter are going to be there. It's going to be an amazing, amazing party. What are you most looking forward to at F3, Justin? Oh, I can't wait to see Alex Epstein's um, keynote speech. Um, also, just I was so I went to Matt earlier in this year, and it was great meeting lots of drivers that I talked yeah. to online. But um, 
it just seems like every year when we have one of these Freightways events, I just keep meeting more and more people that I've been following online and you finally get to meet them in person. And, you know, for the most part, everyone's been pretty much, you know, one-to-one in person as they are online. You, you learn so much talking to, to people at events like this. All right. Well, you'll learn a lot by talking to Super Trucker. Go find him on social media at Super Trucker or Justin Martin on LinkedIn. Find me at Timothy Dooner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. Uh, find the show at FW What the Truck. We're on TikTok, X, wherever you go. And, of course, go to YouTube. Go to Fringley's YouTube channel. You can subscribe to this. We've got every What the Truck on there. Or if you like audio only, look up What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to shows. Catch us there. No show on Friday. I'll be back Monday, and I'll have a great time in Jackson Hall. Take care. Don't be a stranger.